Hey guys. Oh, son of a fucking. Hello. Hang on, you there? Yes. Uh, what's up? Uh, going to, I don't, we're going to do go to dinner at seven. I'm doing an intro for my podcast. Can I call you? Okay. I'll call you later. I love you. Bye. Um, that's it guys. New podcast. Uh, today's podcast. I'm super excited about. I, uh, I think you're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. If I think I say in this, if, if you win an Emmy for a podcast, I might win an Emmy in this. And now this may have been stuff that he said in the past to other people. I don't care. I, I've listened to him on other podcasts. This guy is so fucking interesting today that I, I'm almost certain that I will get a great feedback and everyone's going to fucking literally be like, holy shit, man, I got to see him live. That's why I texted him and had him put out his dates for me. Um, we do not talk about that on the air. I forget to do an outro because I had to pick up a friend uh, at an airport. And it's, I'm in Tampa. I'm in Tampa. And, uh, and just don't, hey, just don't, don't think I'm slipping, okay? Revenge is a dish best served cold. I got two new shirts coming out. I got plans in order. I got troops in marching position. Let's just say I am Jon Snow. And it may look like I'm surrounded by a bunch of fat shamers. And I can promise you this, my friends. <laughs> Little finger knows my sister. And they're fucking coming to destroy shit. Get ready, Tom Segura. Buckle down, motherfucker. It's on, baby. <laughs> I'm posting a new vlog tonight, I think. Uh, or tomorrow. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Let's, let's real quick, since we're on my dates. I'm, on Colum- I'm in Columbus, Ohio, the 8th and 9th of July. I'm in Calgary with Ari Shafir, the 14th of July, but I'll be there the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. I think we're doing a live podcast out of Calgary Yuck Yucks following a a show, a live show. It would be weird if we had taped it and then mailed it to you guys in Calgary at Yuck Yucks on the 14th. It's a bunch of us. us. Uh, Hartford Funny Bone the weekend directly after that. I'm then in Montreal the 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th doing the host of the most show and a bunch of other things, some tape thing, and I'm sure another thing, and so maybe a podcast, uh, F- Funny Bone Syracuse, Stand Up Live, Kansas City Improv, uh, let's just run through them all, Toledo, Albany, Cowheads Cruise, uh, Call and Sick to Work show in Tampa on the 23rd of September, right before we go on Cowheads Cruise, I'm doing a Call and Sick to Work show in Tampa, I think we'll have a bunch of special guests, and it's going to be fucking amazing, I'm trying to get a shirt made from that, I just bought these shirts from this place the Freaky Tiki in Clearwater Beach, and I love their shirts. Their designer is fucking badass, so I'm trying to get them to set up a shirt for me, but uh, don't forget I got two new shirts, Comics, Gotham, Funny Bone Dayton, Baltimore, goes on and on until the end of the year, New Year's Eve. I am in uh, the new club in Ventura, in the new improv in Ventura. I think that's where it is. Today's guest, uh, and I already kind of led with this a tad bit, but... Um, He's a guy that I heard of on Ari Shafir's This Is Not Happening show. He told an amazing story, which basically I force him to tell the entire version of that story from beginning to end for like an hour and 40 minutes. I I, I had so many questions. He's had such a unique set of life experiences. We parallel each other in the most beautiful opposite way that could ever be. I don't want to lead too much into this, but if you haven't heard the stories, 
real quick, type in in YouTube, uh, Ali, I guess I've told you his name already, Sadiq, S-A-D-I-Q, and the first story that comes up is Ali Sadiq, Prison Riot. It's on This Is Not Happening, Ali Sadiq, S-A-S-S-I-D-D-Q, S-I-D-I, fucking dyslexic. This is what drives me nuts about a long read. This is not happening. Ali Sadiq, A-L-I-S-I-D-D-I-Q, Prison Riot, Uncensored, the Mexicans got all boots. It's one of my favorite stories I've heard ever on This Is Not Happening, and I've been dying to talk to him. The day I heard it, I emailed him. And I tweeted him, and Bob Biggerstaff hit me up and was like, by the way, Bob Biggerstaff's another fucking hilarious dude, was like, hey, uh, I can get you guys in touch. Joey's had him on his podcast. I'm sure Ari's had him on his podcast. But all of us were just blown away by just what a real motherfucker this guy is. And I am, you'll hear it, and I'm looking at the podcast right now. I barely ever talk. Here are his dates. I implore you. I'm being dead serious. Go see him live. Go see him live and tell him. Mexican got on boots. (laughs) It is make him tell this story on stage. Just like Joe Rogan made me tell the machine story on stage. Make Ali Sadiq tell one of the greatest stories I've ever heard on stage. Those are the good stories are the ones that feel like. And by the way, Ali, if you're listening to this, I skip by any you ask. We talked about this very quickly. If you are listening to this, this is my my only advice is just keep telling it, man. Just keep telling it. Just keep fucking telling it. These people that listen to this podcast will come out. Just, guys, if you see Ali say, the machine sent me, Mexicans got on boots. Tell him that and make him tell this story because it's that fucking good. And this will be his fucking tater salad story. This will be the reason that he'll tell the story. It'll get him a special on Showtime or some shit. But, man, I, I, it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Here are his dates. Ali Sadiq, you can find him on uh, on Twitter at uh, at Ali underscore speaks on Facebook and Instagram. He's Ali Sadiq on Facebook, Ali Sadiq on Instagram. His website is AliSadiq.com. That's A-L-I-S-I-D-D-I-Q. Dot com. He's going to be in St. Louis soon. He's got his Comedy Central half hour coming up. Guys, without further ado, it's Ali motherfucking city. This is David Koechner is doing a lot of stand-up right now. He's the fucking nicest guy in the goddamn world. Have you ever met him? No. Do you know who he is? No. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think I should have been black. Like, <laughs> there are things black dudes. Do you know Donnell Rollins? Yes. Okay, you and Donnell are very similar. When I walked in your room, you guys have certain things that, like, were you raised by a single mother? Yeah. Uh, is, is that what it is? <laughs> Donnell and I lived together for a period of time when we did uh, we did that uh, Comedy Central show. This is not happening. And Donnell taught me how to iron clothes. He taught me how to make an omelet. Like it was, it was almost like creepy. But like he organizes his shoes like that. Like you have your shoes organized, dude. If you saw my fucking hotel room, you'd be like, "Are you moving in here? Like, is this? 
Is it, are you squatting? They, are they trying to get you out? It's fucking insane. Black dudes always have like their Steve Burns should be black. His yeah. his hotel room is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> fucking perfect. You've got stereotypically you've got nine bags of barbecue Fritos. <laughs> It was more than that. It was like thirteen. Are bags. you serious? Yeah, it was like, uh, it's like I don't. They um, I love them, and they don't sell them in Houston. So, dude, have you had the sweet chili Doritos, the yes. purple bag? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they they amazing. Best they, fucking Doritos I've ever had. And those Fritos, man. Like if I go to Atlanta, or Detroit, I just go to the vending machine and I buy every bag. Out of the vending machine, really, and then if it's, if I go to multiple vending machines to see if they have any more, and I just buy all of them and, <laughs> and just stuff them in my backpack, and like, yo, when I get somewhere, I'm taking them, man. <laughs> I have, uh, I have to say this: your story on Ari's storytelling show is my favorite story I've ever heard out of that whole fucking ent- and from top to bottom. T.J. Miller's got a great one. Tom Segura's got a great one. But your story with the Mexicans got boots on, yeah. And I, I have to ask you about that, man, because people keep asking me, my agency, it's like, you have to tell that on stage. I said, well, it's not a bit, and I don't okay. I don't know how to do it. He's like, and they was like, well, you need to talk to Bert. So he know because he did the machine. I'm like, I've been meaning to call you for like almost two months now just to say, how do I do this as a, because people are asked for it, yeah. and I and I, I just don't, it don't do it. I explain it like, yo, man, I don't. It's not a bit. It's a actual story. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how to condense it or where I would put it in my set. It's like a weird. It's like you got to very- close on it. Number one, you don't close on it right off the bat. So uh, this is the way I worked. To, so the machine story was just like that. I was like, it's a story, but it doesn't belong on stage. It doesn't belong in my act. My act's tighter, faster. It's a little more like I used to love to kill, like just like thunder, just like. Yeah. And and I, I haven't I mean, I mean this is gonna sound really silly. I haven't I got very used to not killing because of that machine story, because it was a twelve minute story that I had to learn. So what I just did, Rogan kinda was the one that I thanked him on my special because he's the one that was like, No, you have to do it. Every time you get on stage, you have to tell that story. Every time until it gets great. And when it gets great, you will thank me. And I don't even say thank me, but like, trust me, you will be fucking grateful that you did it. You just got to do it every time. You just got to tell the whole story. Got to just tell. Just tell the whole story. Tell the whole story, beginning to end. Every time you go on stage, it'll change your career for the be- better than anything. But tell the whole story, beginning to end. Every time, and just the more you tell it, with the more repetition, you start cutting things out. For me, what was really helpful was I had a documentary crew following me around when I first started telling it, and they would say things to me. They weren't co- one of the guys is a comic now, but they weren't comics at the time. But they would just say things like, um, "Like, hey, just so you know, like I used to have this bit when the because the Russian gangster spits vodka in my teacher's face. Mm-hmm. She was Puerto Rican. I don't know. I don't. It was it was almost contradictory that." Because he spits vodka in her face and goes, no one talks to the machine like that. I go, I th- immediately thought one of two things. One, da-da-da-da, uh, he's never met a Puerto Rican woman. Yeah. Two, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. We get like a little laugh, but it just would derail the story because the Puerto Rican woman didn't do anything. She laughed. She was scared. So it made no sense. Mm-hmm. So you just, it's just whittling it down and just going... Okay. I mean, do you realize the brilliance of your story? I mean, do you, do you know why... I mean, do you know why it's great? I have... 
I, 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 and, and I know this sounds very probably juvenile or, or unconscious of it. I have no clue because it's just to me, it's what happened. Yeah. And everybody else loves it. And I'm like, I don't know what's there. I, I, I don't so see the, it. So the re okay. So Ari and I are fucking focused on this. Like we talk about this a lot. One of the, gr- the greatest thing about that story is the repetition, the repetition. Your character goes into this. I, I feel like, I feel like anyone who doesn't know the story is now going to be totally lost. Can you, <laughs> can you tell me the story? The the story Mexican have on boots. It's my and just and just it's, and it's, you don't feel like you're telling it on stage. Just tell me like so. What did you get arrested for? I got arrested for drug trafficking. I got busted with five kilos of dope, ninety two thousand dollars in a this weed gun. Nah, crack. Really oh. not crack cocaine at the yeah. time that we gonna um, turn into crack. And <laughs> <laughs> it was gonna rapidly be turned into crack. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I listen to so much hip hop. I think I could probably make crack. But <laughs> yeah, because it's it, like they detail it out. You know, you know that you have to cook something. You need water. I need and, baking powder. <laughs> <laughs> I need a scale. You need a scale. You need I need some rubber something. bands for put my money in. Yeah, I, but I'm I'm delivering this to somebody else. So they buying it from our team. Yeah, and my my team is very very small. It was just me and this guy named Charles Barber. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like we didn't really have a team, but we we made it seem a lot bigger than it was. Our, our operation was very. It was like we was making a lot of money, but it was only really two of us. Yeah. And it's like, and I met him when I was like fourteen. Yeah. And how I how I met him was it was like he he ran this these apartments, and this dude named Ronnell, which is was his um brother in law. They um they they were the dudes who. Everybody was, they were the big drug dealers. And I was like a, a small dude. And I just was buying it just to get tennis shoes and stuff like that that my yeah. mom couldn't afford. So I would buy like an ounce or so from Ronell. And I would go, it was some apartments across the way. And they all called the Greens. And nobody wanted to sell dope over there because it was like the feds are over there. And I just said, well, I'm going to go over there where it's less crowded. Even though I thought the laws were over there well, but this gay dude, I never forget this black gay dude. He used to always have on those. Remember the small swimming shorts? Yeah, it, like really the track shorts, and they had that little slit on the side. Yeah, and they kind of, it kind of whale tailed yeah. out. He always had them on with uh, like a, a tank top tucked in, and he had a curl with his little hat on. I remember him so detailed, and he was like, "Yo, you little youngster, I help you over here if you don't." <laughs> so, so he would bring all these <laughs> yeah, you people. <laughs> To me, and I was like, okay. So Charles got win. He's like, yo, it's a guy. You know, he's selling a lot of, he buying a lot of dope from Ronell, which Ronell works for him. And he's like, who is he? He's like, I don't know, some little guy. He comes and gets it from me, and then he just three hours later he back. Like, yo, let me get a let me get a half ounce. He's moving up rapidly. So he was like, well, if he moving dope over there, I want I want that. I want those apartments. So he called to talk to me at the playground. And he was like. Yo, um, I don't need you to work for me. And I'm a kid. I was like, uh, nah, I don't I don't want to work for nobody. I'm I'm good. And he and he this is when he literally thought that I was the toughest dude he ever met. He Charles is like, man, like six four, like probably like two ten, two fifteen, all muscle. He's like, Yo, man, you gonna work for me? I was like, nah, 
kind of don't want to work for nobody. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, man. So he pulls out 45, biggest gun I ever seen to this day. Pulls out a 45 and like, yo, you going to work for me. And I had a 25 with a wooden handle, with a wooden grip. I pull out my little 25. I said, nah, I don't really want to work for nobody. And so we draw down. I got a 25. He got a 45. And he just busts out laughing like, yo, he tough as fucking nails. And (laughs) So cut two. Ronell gets into this dude named Oscar and Pat. They knock him off his moped, and he had, like, a Tech 9 in his back. But Ronell was, like, that no type of aggressive dude. So I see it, and I have a 25. And all I know is, hey, that's Ronell. That's who I buy my drugs from, so I need to protect him. Yeah. And I was, bow, 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 with a 25. And it's like, who the fuck's shooting at us? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, the little dude from over there. I'm like, Ronell, you good? He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm straight. So Charles hears about it. He comes like, yo, I appreciate you, X, Y, and Z. Hey, man, you want to work with me? And I was like, all right, I'll work with you, but I can't, you can't really have you, like, bossing me around. Yeah. And he gave, he, he gave me an ounce of dope, and I sold it, and then I lost the money. I lost, I don't know what I was doing. I lost all the money, and I went to my stash, and I, I went and paid him. I said, yo, I owe you six fifty for that ounce. And I lost the rest of the money, so this is the six fifty for that ounce, and um, I'm pretty. Good. He's like, so you paying for money that you that you? I'm like, yeah, man. I don't I don't want to owe nobody nothing. Yeah. So <clears throat> me and Charles, we get busted at the same time. You know, he's there when we get busted, and so we go through the whole process of going to court and all the rest of that. So. The lawyer says whoever signs first is going to get the least amount of time. And so I signed for 15 years because they had us dead to the right. It's like, there's no way that we was getting How'd they bust you? Man, we was in a hotel. Really, the reason why we got busted is this dude named Moe's fault. And and I'm and everybody knows this. It's Moe's fault. Because I, I'm, I'm Charles. It's Charles' fault, too. It's, yeah. it, it's Moe and Charles' fault. None of this is my fault. And everybody knows it. It's none, none of this is my none of it is my fault. Because this this is what this is what happens. So I am we at the whole we at the we at the place where we doing the drop. And I'm 19 at this point. And and Charles been knowing me since I was 14. I'm like, come on, man. Anybody in this crew, you need, you should trust me. So. I'm on I'm on scene. It's noon. We in this in this in um Baytown. <clears throat> and we dropping this dope off. So we go into this hotel room. This is Houston, Texas. Houston. Okay. We go in the hotel room, something like this. And it's a black dude, white guy, and Miss Me and Mo went in the room to count the money before I made the call to tell Charles to bring the drugs to the drop off spot. I see. That's why I'd be a horrible drug dealer. So I would walk in with all the drugs, being like, "All right, yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't do it like that." So, and and I'm I'm skimming through the money. Like I'm really just counting the money, just really skimming through it. And I and I and if they go to the the records of the feds, everybody hears this. I say, "Hey, what's these numbers that's stamped on the money?" He said, "Oh, those are bank numbers." And so 
I put the money down. I just knock on the table. This is Mo is not paying attention to what's going on. If I knock on the table, I'm telling him these are the cops, man. No matter what you may think. But Mo is so focused on the money that he's dropping the ball. So we come out. I say, Mo, these are the feds. And I'm and I'm telling well, you. T- tipped you off the fact that they're. But- I'm about to tell you. This how I know it is. I told Mo. Mo like, man, these ain't the feds. Mo, how long have you been selling drugs? Man, I've been rolling with y'all for about four years. Listen, man, the you buying, you buying drugs, and there's no twenties, there's no tens, there's no fives, Mo. Yeah. There's no ones, really. So they got all. So some drug dealer has all fifties and hundreds, Mo. Think about what you what you saying, man. Yeah. Tell Charles don't come in this parking lot. Tip two, tip two. I'm in the car in the van. Telling mom, I'm like, yo, man, I'm, I'm before we even went to count the money. I'm like, yo, I'm really, I don't feel good about this. He's like, man, what's what's wrong? I said, do you realize that it's that it's twelve thirty, and nobody's checking out of this hotel. Like nobody, it's no movement out of this hotel. Yeah. And Mo's like, what that mean? It's twelve thirty, man. Why wouldn't no anybody be checking out? Yeah. So. I see this. I see this. Now, had you ever gotten bad feelings about drug deals before? This is my first. Man, this is this. All this is bad because I'm going back to when my best friend told. I said, "Yo, I'm finna go do this X, Y, and Z." This is the first time he'd ever say, "Man, I don't really, I don't really feel good about this one." Yeah. I was like, "I'd be all right if I see something, you know, I, I dip on it, you know, me." I, um, I didn't dip before on things. I, if I feel like something sketchy, I'm like, "Nah, I'm out, man." I would have dipped on every fucking drug deal ever. <laughs> I would have been like, this seems like it's fucking sketchy, man. Look at the guy. Look at his name tag. It says Thor. Fuck that. No one's named Thor. <laughs> He's out. So I'm, I tell Charles, I tell Mo to tell Charles, hey, don't come to this parking lot. Just just drive off. If we get busted, they can't bust us nothing with nothing because we don't have any dope. We don't have anything on us. Yeah. Mo. More exact words when I get it from Charles after we get locked up and we see each other. He said, man, Mo told me that you felt sketchy about it, but he felt like you was just nervous. And you said it'll be okay. I was like, what? That don't even make sense. If I tell you that I'm sketchy about it, then you should trust me over him. So in slow motion, I'm sitting in the Asher van and Charles... Beans comes into the parking lot and I look over and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. he pops the trunk. The informant, he takes his hat off. Un- very unnatural movement. Just like he takes his hat off. And when he takes his hat off, man, it's like people are coming from everywhere. Yeah. It's like it's people coming from everywhere. So I run out the back of the Ashvan. You know, Ashvan have double doors that open up. Yeah. I jump over. Into the over this fence, and I'm running through this field, and they after me like hounds, and I'm like, cause I'm trying to get away, and we all get busted. Charles on a high speed chase, then we we end up all locked up. So I'm like, yo, I've never been. To What's that feel like? You is it depressing? It's it's very. Like is it? I think I, I would. I would like. I only one time. But I've been cuffed and put in the back of a car. I think twice, maybe in my life, maybe three times, but one time. I remember I had driven, cops were there and I'd driven a car and 
parked in front of the cop car because they were being dicks and we were fucking with them and and I'd had I'd been I'd been drinking, but I only drove the car out of a space and backed it up. And the, <laughs> like I didn't like I didn't really drive it. I backed, no way, yeah. backed it up so the cop couldn't move. And we were all it was like college and and uh, I remember the cop said to me like, "Hey man, move your car." And I said, "I can't. I've been drinking." And he goes, "Well, who moved it there?" I said, "I don't know." And he goes, "I think I saw you move it there, and I'm going to take you to jail." And I said, "How do you, you can't prove that?" And he goes. And then I just pounded my drink, and I go, I'm drinking outside of the car. And he looked at me, and he goes, this is going to be the longest fucking night of your life. He goes, let's go to jail. And I, dude, I had such panic. Like, <laughs> I went, I said, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I'll move it right now. And he goes, get in your fucking car and move it. And I went, yes, sir. And I got in the car, and I pulled it forward. And I, <laughs> I was such a bitch. <laughs> and my girlfriend was like, you folded quick. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to go to jail. It, it, it's, it's a very... It's very uh, no matter how quote unquote hard you're trying to be. Once you in the back of that car and you like, yeah, this this not this doesn't seem. Then when they start driving off and you just looking at all the people that you came with, you like, oh okay, who's going to come get me? Yeah. And when you figure out that like, man, I had like a my bomb was like a hundred and fifty thousand, and I went to bomb reduction with this this judge Woody Denson, and. I, I I know I was very arrogant. Like a, I thought I was very Teflon at that time because I had a lot of money stashed, and I'm like 19 and I'm like really cocky. Like, okay, I went to bomb reduction, and they gave me seventy five thousand dollars more bond, and I and I stood up in court. I said, "Do you know what reduction means?" <laughs> and, and, my, and my lawyer was like. Sit, sit down. <laughs> sit down before you be held in contempt. I'm like, no, man. Reduce mean, how do you come in and come out with more? This is not reduction. Why did he give you more? Because um, I was on Judifer, um probation at the time for um, a theft that I didn't even, I wasn't even a part of. I'm in the car with these guys and they were very low end criminals and they was going in hair salons snatching purses. And so this dude named Brian and cause I'm very I, people know I'm very detailed. I give the names of the people. If anyone's listening to this right now that listens to my podcast, they're fucking applauding in their head because they know I'm obsessed with small details. The small <laughs> details makes a story so good. It really makes a story fantastic. So I'm in the car. Me, Michael Vian, Eli Aikens. And Brian Wilson, we all are in the car. From the Beach Boys? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and they snatching purses, man, and running credit cards and buying Jordans. And I guess I was a part of it because they ran the And they the Jordans that just came out, the ones he had on in the Olympics, the red and white ones. So we buying Jordans. I'm like, man, y'all really wow, you snatching purses. And they're like, this is that's so small scale. And I'm in the car with them. And so I end up, they they end up arresting all of us. And I'm like, yeah, I was in the car. Because I'm thinking, like, what's really going to happen? Because I didn't snatch anything. Yeah. So I end up getting a Judifer probation so it'll, it would clear my record afterwards. I'm like, I shouldn't even have a record. Because in, in my mind, I'm like, I really sell drugs. And yeah. y'all don't know. And y'all got me <laughs> in here on a on a. a a purse snatching? I'm like, really? It's like when you cheat on your girlfriend, but then she gets mad at you for going to a strip club. You're like, oh, I've <laughs> I, I've done way worse than this. And like, is this I what should you, not be getting in trouble for, for this. this. You know, so 
it was it was a very uh, it was weird. And he was like, yo, you on probation already. So we're going to put on top of that. We're going to put this bond on you because you're on probation. I was like, OK, whatever, man. And now, can I, this is a weird question. But is there any point in this that you. The one thing that I this is sticks in my head and I don't know why, but like. I remember just feeling one time the pressure to be black, like the pressure, like white guys get a pass. Like we can cry and we can be like, I'm really fucking scared, man. I don't want to do this. And everyone just goes, yeah, well, that's a white guy behavior. Black guys have to hold it down. Have to. You but- can't like, you can't just <laughs> bitch out in the back of the car and be like, I don't want to fucking go, man. I don't want to fucking go. It's like I had the opportunity on both in both situations. I had the opportunity to fold. On everybody. Oh, white guys can fold easily. That's like all expected of them. <laughs> Everyone's like, why didn't you just tell on everybody? It's like I had the opposite. I wouldn't even tell them who. It's like, do you know the guy's name? And I was like, I have I have no no clue. It's like, you was with him. We saw you. And like, I was just riding. And, Fuck. And they were really telling me, man, if you tell on everybody, we'll let you go. And I just couldn't do it. It's like... I didn't want that on me. Yeah, I, I just didn't. I didn't. I didn't want it on me. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good on the the telling. That's crazy because that's that's such a like a like my dad would walk. My dad's a lawyer, but my dad would walk in the room. And he'd sit down with the cop, and he'd be like, Bert, you give him the names, and I go, okay. It was Jeff Hartley, his dad, <laughs> looked, Chris Carter, <laughs> Pete Whalen. It, it it's a it was a weird thing and I and I was a kid man I was like I was nineteen nineteen years old and I just I was literally my 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 birthday is October seventeenth this happened on October the twenty first so you just turned nineteen just turned nineteen motherfucker and my mom was is like, it like the first forty eight do they do they do they like interrogate you and it's like it was no interrogation it was like because oh, you got caught with everything I, I was there and. I got they kind of beat me up a little bit in the hotel room. Like this, I'll never forget this guy, man. It's like when you know when you can see they face so vivid. This guy, big bushy beard, white guy, shorter than me. He he had on glasses and a hat. He come in. Just want to let you know something. I'm not the state police. And he punches me right in the mouth. Bow. I'm the feds. And I was like, so you gonna tell me who was in that car? I'm like, I don't know, man. I was gonna. Bow, bow, just punch me in the face because we in the bathroom. He yeah. had me in the hotel in the bathroom. He punched me in the face like three times. I was like, "Wow, you you serious, ain't you?" And then, motherfucker. And I was like, "Yo, man, I'm still not telling you nothing." And and then I think he stopped beating me up because they the helicopter they they had crashed and they had got him. The the oh, oh, yeah. was a helicopter following him and they on a high speed chase and he crashes on like Liberty Road, Federal Road or something like that. And they like, Yeah, we have your friends. And I was like, They're they're not my friends. I don't I don't know who's in the car. And he's like, Oh, you're sticking to that? I'm like, I was just here. Because I in my mind I'm thinking, I'ma say I was a drug I was a user. That's what I'm thinking. I'm gonna say I was yeah. just here, I was I'm a user. Like, no, you came in to count the money. It was everything that was going on in my mind was like it wasn't gonna work at the end of the day. Now was your mom did your mom come down and just Man, my mom I didn't tell my mom for like a while. I was I wasn't staying with her, so um I didn't tell my mom until the first lawyer just he wasn't right. So then my I called my mom from jail and I'm like, Hey, um, I'm in a little bit of trouble. 
and I'm gonna probably need you to to orchestrate my affairs for me. And so this, my mom is like literally not believing that her son is a drug dealer like at all. She's like, no, not not my kid. And it's like because my mom's like a working class woman. She's a she works at a college and she does all these oh, good shit. things. And my sister's like a really good person. And she's like, no, not my son. And I was like, yeah, your son. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, hey, we both fucked up. <laughs> when, when I had to start telling her where to go get money from, and oh. she was like, my mom still thought that I was driving the Monte Carlo that my, my stepdad gave me. Because he gave me a, a 79 Monte Carlo, and I, I freaking love that car. But I was actually had a BMW, and she never knew. Like, I would drive the Monte Carlo to her house, and I would park my car somewhere else. And then, Shut like, up. And she was like, wow. So then she got me this, this attorney. This dude, this first attorney was horrible, man, because he said this. I, I knew he wasn't going to be my attorney. He's like, well, man, who sells this much drugs in the in the neighborhood you didn't know this was that i'm like you do know we had dropped off more the way before this like right before this we had dropped man like yo man i'm like you you are detached to what's really going on so my lawyer was this guy named real harris man real harris was the coldest like i i got calm once my mom found rio really like rio was like yo man this is what we gonna do. He came and met with me. He's like, this is how much money I need. This is, you know, what it's gonna be. And we're gonna try to we're gonna try to figure this out as best we can. Cause he he's like, yo, they have you dead to the right though. Really? We're gonna we're gonna try to get you at least time as possible and we're gonna try to get you off. So I give Rio a lot of money. And I gave him my car as well. Yeah. So he was like, cool, man. Cause I, my mom, like, I can't give him all my money. Like, I gotta have at least something. And I had this, I had this girlfriend, Pam Ross. Pam Ross. Pam Ross is. I'm not gonna say she's the worst person, but she at the time she was the worst girlfriend of all time. Cause I was locked up for six years, and you know how much money I left Pam Ross with? How much? I left Pam Ross in her house, and her and Kim Jackson will not lie about this. $85,000 in a trash bag in all fives and ones. They set up all night and counted it. And they that's what I left in her house. You know what I'm saying? In her mom's house. Yeah. And she didn't send me $1 while I was gone. Shut up. Like, 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 Fuck them. $1. But her mom is so gangster. The guns that we had here in her mom's house her mom still had the guns when I got out of jail. She was like, we still got your guns. Like, <laughs> like, 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 I'm not allowed to have them anymore. <laughs> and her mom was a gangster, man. Um, and it's like, it was, it's a, it's a weird thing when you sell drugs in a black community, you really don't, you get a pass for a lot of things, man. We, we literally in this, in his apartment complex, we was paying this lady's rent and she had two daughters and I had free reign to go in and out of this house whenever I chose to. And she, because we was giving her money, we paying her rent. And in my mind, like, you know, so being socially conscious now, I think about it, I'm like, wow, man, this lady really gave me access to her daughters like this. And I'm, a, I'm still a teenager. Her yeah. daughters are teenagers. 
I'm sleeping with both her daughters, you know, and she don't, she doesn't get it, but she doesn't care either because you have this young kid that would come in and give you $5,000 and the the free reign to run in out of your house and store drugs in there. And then Pam, mom, she was like, Yo, we, we, we've been knowing him forever. You know, he's my spade partner. And I, and like, I literally drink, me and this lady drink together and I'm, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm a kid, but I'm not in school anymore. I'm, you know, I'm at a university. I'm going back and forth, man. It's like, it's it's being socially conscious now. Like I have, and I have daughters. So I'm like, yo, I kind of, I'm very guarded with them. And so when I got busted, I'm in jail and I'm like in, I'm, it's a lot of things that's wrong in jail to me as very or like I'm I feel like I'm in there as an activist like they still be yeah. like yo we shouldn't have to go through these type of atrocities you know <laughs> this is a 31 man cell you have 70 people in there what is going on <laughs> like, 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 like who is this black voice for freedom in prison <laughs> like, and, who's Dick Gregory in the corner yeah I was very political in prison and people yeah. like yo man this dude he's like it, 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 did you go to school? I'm like, yeah, I went to college, man. Like, yo, and <laughs> it's like you got busted telling drugs and you was in college. Like, yeah, it's like I still was socially conscious, even because I was like, I'm selling drugs. But I'm reading Malcolm X and reading. And that's when that. Show, how old are you now? <laughs> I'm I'm 42. So that's when that that's when Malcolm X the movie was coming out. Yeah, and th- that's when that I was like probably the height of what I consider uh, that like. Those those leather Africa, yeah, pendants. the medallions. I had a thousand of them, man. Yeah. It's like it was like I, I I don't know. I was going through this weird transition of being educated and and wanting to be righteous, but still wanting to have money. And I didn't see a way to make money as a as a because political activists they it seems like they broke all the time. And he was like, I oh, don't yeah. I didn't want to be that. Fuck so that. I and, tried to go to see Malcolm X in the movie theaters. I was I like. I, I, I my relationship, I think with I've, I've it's grown a lot in what I and what I consider my view on uh, on race and and stuff is grown exponentially just watching Roots. Roots came out and again and it really <laughs> fucking freaked me out and it freaked me out in like a way that I never appreciated. I never appreciated that literally sixty years ago, black people didn't have rights. 60, yeah, 60 years fucking, ago. That's one generation. And my, and my mom is 62. You know what I'm saying? That is fucking real. Slavery was in this country for 250 years. For 250 years, black people were slaves. Slaves, then not people. For another fucking hundred. And and this is the weirdest thing. I I People ask me, how do you feel about President Obama being the first black president and i was like i i really don't feel anything about it unless he i say his whole my whole view of him is going to be based on one thing if he changes in the constitution the african-american people are a whole person if he doesn't do that, his whole presence to me was for not is it still in there in the it's, still, it's, it's still and we're one we're one fifth of a person still shut the fuck up and and him and his wife are both constitutional lawyers, and I'm like, so you didn't you didn't want to change that? You didn't want to just go in and like make a real fuss about changing that? That would have been cool. And this lady was like, well, 
You know, it's not what they call. Yes, it is. It is because we wouldn't have to have civil rights if we just had rights. I said, did you ever notice that white men don't have civil rights? They just have rights. Yeah. It's, no, it's nothing civil, but it's just the rights to oh, yeah. do whatever. I said, but he, that was a weird thing to me. So I, I, I'm up in arms about that. But it's um, when, you going, when you're going through prison, you, you have to find something to to actually occupy the space in your mind. It's not you're going to end up doing the time regardless, but the space in your mind, being able to mind control yourself to not get caught up in this whole and that's where Mexican having on boots comes into play because I'm I'm literally dumbfounded by what's going on in prison. This is my first time in prison and I'm like, "Yo, man, um I have no clue why this is any of this is happening, and I didn't even know what the code words. So the dude was like, when he said to me, and "This is your first day, this, first day this in prison, like first day on Torres Unit." Is I've been locked up, but I hadn't been in prison yet. You so know, what's the difference between jail and prison? Oh, jail is when you when you still fighting your case, yeah, and it's in it's hopes of getting out. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe because when you when you when you in jail, anything happens, you think you'll get out. I have to go and <laughs> go back and say this. I'm thinking that when I'm in jail, I'm in 10B3. I'm on the 10th floor of 1301 Franklin. And it's the worst. The worst. We used to hear about the 10th floor in the free society. Like, this is a place like, man, if you go, if you get locked up, don't go to the 10th floor. Yeah. The 10th floor is called a gladiator floor. All they do is fight and stab. That's it. You, you have to be a fighter to be on the 10th floor. Holy and that's shit. and the worst thing to do is go on the tenth floor and go to a corner tank because the corner tank is basically it's a tank but it's another part where they can't see you around the corner so the officers can't see you so you can get killed in a corner tank so if and they used to tell you don't go to ten a two ten d two ten c three and ten b three these are the places that you don't want to go these are all corner tanks and man I'm they, they assign the people. It's all these guys, like 15 guys, and I'm the smallest one. And the, the deputy comes down. He's assigning people their floors. He's like, you go on the fourth floor. You go on the eighth floor. You go on the seventh floor. You go on to the sixth floor. And looks right at me and say, 10th floor, 10 beat three. And I'm like, what? I'm like, say, man. I like I don't want to go to ten three. It's like yo ten B three because it's because of age. Yeah. It's based on age. Why is he based on age? Because this this floor why it's called the gladiator floor because it's all young people. It's like this is like fuck young people, man. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this is fucking like, young people have no fucking regard for anything. So it's like everybody's twenty three to like seventeen. And it's wild up here. It's like, as soon as you get on the floor, you just hear all this racket and noise and people just doing all this nonsense. I'll never forget this dude named Poo Um Poo is crazy, man. Poo and Brian Scott. Man, I'm, it's like this little vestibule area where you wait for the, the officer to come and roll you in the door. And it's this game that they play to see how tough you are. And Poo comes, he got his shirt off. He probably did like 700 push-ups just to get prepared for this. Yeah. <laughs> he got his shirt off. Him and Brian standing there. Yeah, that's him right there. And, like, and I'm like, I'm not even responding. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's the one who slapped my sister. And I'm like, oh, here we go with this. One, I've never hit a woman in my life. And then I'm thinking, 
okay, this is the game. Nigga trying to see am I Two, gonna if it. I had no drunk, what are the odds your brother's right here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your brother just happens to be yeah. oh, right here. So, so he's, yeah, when you come in here, it's on. And I just turned and looked at him and say, well, well, I guess it's on then. And he was like, you ain't scared. And I was like, nah, it's a fight. What's going to happen? I said, man, I, I fight and I fight well. So I'm I'm really not scared of no fight. So I come in, nothing happens, and we, you know, I'm like, yo, so I see some dudes I knew, and he's like, man, what you doing here? I'm like, probably the same thing that you're doing here, committed a crime, sir. And This is still just jail. This is just jail. Okay. And jail is weird because anything that happens, you think you're going to get out. Let me tell you when I thought I was getting out. Oh man, this is this. I'm reading the paper every day, like I still do now. And I look in there, and my like I'm like seven months in, and my judge got brought up on bribery charges. Shut up! Oh, so you get? And I'm thinking, oh snap! What he dissing on bribery charges? I don't know what. I don't know why this means something to me. Like, 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 I, like they gonna let all his cases, all his cases are default. So everybody gets that. Like, no, it's like I'm like that's fucking great. And I'm thinking, yo, man. And then we, you, you got hopes of of everything. And then they had this thing where, hey, man, if you're a nonviolent offender, they let people out at at two in the morning. They gonna let people out. And I'm thinking, I'm a nonviolent offender. Yeah, maybe, maybe I get out. So I be waiting up at night like maybe they gonna call. They gonna call. It's like any hopes of getting out to just get on the street. They let you out on bond on your own recognizance, and then like that didn't none of this applied to me. None of it applied to me. And I'm I'm so now I'm getting shipped off to prison. And so, I, so you go like just uh so you go to like you go I'm sure you go to trial or something. Went to trial and then they go guilty. Then they st- and they put you back in jail and they sentence you. Yeah, they sentence you. Sentence you and then you go to prison. Then you go to prison. So your sentence was fifteen years. Holy! I had a fuck. I had a so, so I, I was so up on two you, cases. Do you have okay? Okay, I hear that and I just go fifteen years. I immediately was like, I'm gonna be. You still be in jail? I be. I be. No. I be thirty three. I would have got out when I was thirty three. But do you know? In your head, as as being in a the system, they go fifteen years. That means seven if I do. This is my my attorney explained it to me because I think this is why Pam kind of left me and my mom was so poker faced in the, in in the courtroom because it was it's this is what it sounded like and he said because they, they he came to to my to my cell that where I was in the whole thing when you in court and they bring you out back and forth and my attorney said well this is what I this is what I had they 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 wanted to give you ten years but they can't because your case. Of the amount of cocaine that you had starts at fifteen. Yeah, but they're gonna they're gonna sentence you to the the first ten years that you had for the judifer probation. So when you're on judifer probation, if you don't complete it, whatever the sentence would have been, you have to take that sentence on as well. Oh shit! So this is what it sounded like. He said, "So I come in. He said, you have pleaded guilty to the charges of theft by you know whatever that charge was." And delivery, delivery with um, with intent to distribute, and I'm going to sentence you to ten years for your first case, and fifteen years for delivery case to be ran concurrent. And that sounds like twenty five years. That sounds like twenty five years. Yeah, but 
when they say it's concurrent, meaning that you serve the largest sentence at the same time as the 10. This is my impression. This is my impression of me getting sentenced. (laughs) You're going to get served 10 years and 15 years concurrent. Siri, what is concurrent? (laughs) So my mom is concurrent good or bad. (laughs) So do you feel like, do you feel like, do you feel like the judge hates you and the prosecutor hates you and the cops hate you when you're in this? Yeah. You don't feel like they're on your team trying no, to... the prosecutor said 99 years. The reason why I was in, in, in going to court so long, I went to court like nine times because I got dropped from the feds because the feds, this is why you have to know math. This is why I'm very good at math. And the first sentence was, the first attempt to sentence me was, the feds was like, yo, you, you would give him 150 months. And see, oh my it God. sounds, when you hear months, it sounds short. Yeah. And then you're like, hey, wait a minute, it's 12 months in a year. It's 150 of them. I'm like, man, I'm not, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, fucking jackass me would have been like, done. I'll yeah. take the months. Months yeah. are a lot shorter than years. Yeah, but it's so, it's so many of them. It's so, so many of them. So my, my, they dropped my case from the feds to state. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my mind, this is good. I'm like, oh, good. All right. All right. We moving. My lawyer is doing. Rio is working. Yeah. We go to court the second time. The freaking prosecutor says, um, we would like to offer him 99 years. <sighs> and my lawyer immediately says, reset. Reset. We resetting it. I come back again to court. He say, "Well, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can give him less than sixty years." And I'm just looking at this woman like, "What is wrong with this lady? Do you know I'm 19, yeah. lady? You trying to give me sixty years?" Once again, Rio resets it. So every time I go back, but there has to be part of you in your head going like, "I deserve something. I fucked up." Like, like there's like now in retrospect, I deserve something, but not like like when I hear this thing now. Like the guy who raped this this girl, and the judge said, "I don't want to ruin your life. I'm gonna give you six months." In my mind, it just turns that it, I go right back to being 19 when you offered me 99 and 60 years and 50 years and 45 years on a drug case to a 19 year old. I didn't ruin this. You you took a person. And the judge says, I don't want to ruin your life and, and give you six months. And I'm like, it, it, and it, it, when I hear cases like that, it still takes me back to when I was in it. I'm like, yo. That's got to be. That's got to be. That's crazy to me. Almost offensive. So, Rio, he works his magic to get it down to 15. And he's like, yo, you are, this lady was like really being irresponsible. What, like, what are you trying to do to this, this kid? Well, he's so violent. Like, where where has he been violent? Well, he had the gun. The gun wasn't his. It was in the car. It was in the truck. It, they, there's no proof that that gun is his. His fingerprint's not on the gun. Yeah. Rio's going through all this, and he's really being a great attorney. So I always applaud Rio Harris. He's, he, he was a great attorney. And he, and he explained to me, look, you could possibly get out in seven years. And I'm like, okay, man, you know, 
long as this 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 sentence is not uh, twenty six years consecutive. old consecutive. You know, because it's like I would have to serve the 15 first and then serve the 10 after that. The concurrent, when he explained what concurrent means to me, I'm serving all at the same time. So I'm, 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 this is very eerie now because now I'm sentenced and I know that this is, this is it. I'm about to go to prison. I'm saying my final goodbyes to my mom. Um, my, my girlfriend, my real girlfriend, Kendra is, um, coming to the prison. Pam's not really coming to see me. She has all my money and it's this lady named Yvette. Yvette, she's a hairstylist now. They they her name is Harmony. Um now she sings and hairstyles. She she was coming to see me and it was it was this weird feeling like, yo, you about to go to prison. This unknown place. You don't know where you're going or how far you going. And I remember being in this van. It's called a chain. You on the chain, and that's mean that you're leaving. And it, it's so, it's so. This is why this song. I don't know why this song always resonates with me because it was a song that I heard. Um, Lauren Hill and um, the 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 Fugees had this song out one time, and, I, and it is the song. Um, I forget the name of the song. I, I don't think I ever even knew the name, but. Um, it's a remix. I I play it for you. I figure out the song name of the song. But um, um, my man kept saying one time, one time, and it's do do do, and I'm I'm going through the song. I'm like, why do I keep hearing this one time? And I'm like, well, this is the one time that you didn't get away with all the stuff that you done. Yeah, because I guess in in theory you've lived a blessed life in that you've not gotten caught. You've fucking done things that people that kill people die doing and you and you came away unscathed then all of a sudden you got caught one time one time and, and now it, you're in a fucking <laughs> van <laughs> i'm in a van going so and i'm just remembering certain things that my uncles told me about when you get to prison what to do what not to do but God damn it man. nobody do you, realize, do you realize i mean what like drastic set of life experiences we have probably based entirely on our color like yeah. your uncles tell you what prison's like my uncles were telling me what college would be like like yeah. my uncles were like oh you go to college like keg stands like it was just the lightest i had the lightest life like really no seriousness like not no no like fucking heaviness so if i had gone to jail i would have been completely unprepared completely unprepared it's a it's a guy named white dog that was in jail and white dog he always gives me praise because he was just like you he had no clue he had no idea what to do and was, this is on torres unit and i was a pretty after this ride i was a pretty influential dude in the in this on this prison and they, I got word that they were gonna try to rape White Dog. And how do you have that conversation with somebody? I sent word over the fence to say, "Hey, he belongs to me. If anybody touches White Dog, it's gonna be a problem." And the word gets back like, "Yo, white, this white guy, don't put your hands on him. He belongs to Ali." And I had to say it like that. Cause he's just really my friend. Yeah. I, I I met him in jail, yeah. and in my mind, it's like no person deserves to be raped. It's yeah. like 
And so I get it moved on the more decent side of the prison, so to speak. Because yeah. one, one side is, is very rowdy and one other side is kind of Cadillac. But when a riot jumps off, the whole prison is under duress. So wait, so wait, let's go. Oh, so, so this, so I, I don't think anyone for 45 minutes in or 50 minutes in, and we're just getting to one of my favorite stories I've ever fucking heard. And I'll tell you, this is what I, what I love about this story is that from an outside perspective, you are, you're innocent. You're walking in. It's like every fucking Disney movie. You are Bambi. You're, it's your first day. You're the little mermaid. You just got legs. Yeah. That is the story. It is the, the perfect hero journey. And, and you get in over your head. It's fish out of water meets everything. And the other part I love about the story is the repetition. That's what really makes a story great. The only thing, if I, if I can't, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I, I remember watching it and I emailed you immediately. I, I emailed you or texted you or put it on Twitter. Yeah. And then Bob Biggerstaff hit me up. He's like, yo, he's a friend of mine. You got you to gotta have him on your podcast. And I was like, I literally, at that point, I was like, I'll fly to fucking Houston. And then I heard you on Joey's. And I heard you and Joey, Joey, one of Joey's got the best fucking line ever. I, I don't like saying other comics jokes, and I don't think it's one of Joey's jokes. And I've said it a million times, and he said it on my podcast. It was the first time I ever heard it. <laughs> he goes, I go, what was prison like? And he goes, dog, if you think black people are allowed in movie theaters. <laughs> <laughs> he's not He's not lying. We are so loud in prison. It's like everything is, like if I, it, like, People, I, I guess people don't really understand me. Like if we was in a in a discussion about something, and I get, I'm not even mad. People think I'm mad. I'm like, no, I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm just loud and passionate. Because in prison, who's ever talking the loudest wins the argument, even though they can be dead wrong. And everybody be just like, you wrong, man, you wrong. But you the loudest. So like whatever. But we are so loud in prison. He- <laughs> what was the? What was the? Uh, what was the? Red, you know Red Grant? Yes, I know Red Grant. Red Grant and I became really good friends at the same time. Donnell and I were, were all on the same show. And Red asked me if I wanted to play golf one time. And I go, yeah. And he goes, great. And so he sends me the address. And I look it up. I go, oh, this is in Compton. He was like, yeah. I go, why don't we just go to like a, a white golf course? <laughs> and he's like, well, this is where I play. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, I didn't realize they had golf courses in Compton. like Compton. So... I I I'm I'm not even fucking around. I think I said, "Hey man, can I meet you at your house and then I drive with you?" So I don't want to drive through Compton. This is by the way, I'm fucking very honest about how white I am. Yeah. And he's like he's like, "Yeah, sure." So I think I met him at his house. We drove together and we stopped at a Jack in the Box. And we're, it was a Jack in the Box in Compton and I'm whatever I'm doing, I, you can see on my face that I'm scared. That I'm, I'm like going like this, like, like, like my eyes are darting back and forth. But it, and all people were doing was ordering their food. <laughs> and Red could not stop laughing. He goes, "Hey, relax." I go, "But I think they're about to fight." And he goes, "No, they're just ordering food." And he goes, "The black experience is a little louder than the white it, experience." It's very- Man, we loud and, and like I, like when people say, "Well, y'all," I'm like, "Yo, I I, I have to own that because yeah. being in prison, it's very loud." Do you understand how much hollering we do from sailors? You could be on the third floor. I'm having a full conversation. With you. I'm on the la- I'm on the bottom floor. You on the third floor. And I'm talking to you, and and I'm and I gotta I gotta I gotta <laughs> you gotta hear me. I gotta it gotta come around these up there. Oh, so it's very loud. It's so funny. I remember uh, 
uh, Lunell. Yeah, Lunell. Uh, comedian, woman, mm-hmm. shaved head, blonde head, if you don't know her. She did an episode of our show, and I thought she hated me. And Donnell's like, no, man, she's showing you love. She she likes you. That's why she's talking at you like that. And I was like, yeah, but she's fucking saying, like, she's saying, like, mean stuff. Shit. Yeah, mean stuff. It's hurting my feelings. And he's yeah. like, fucking, no, you got to, he, he goes, you notice she's not talking to Mo and not talking to Theo? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's because she don't like him. If she's talking to you, she likes you. She's like, and and I, I didn't get it. And I thought she hated me. And then I ran into her in Montreal. And I was like, I was like, Luna, what's up? She's like, oh, Bert, what's up? And just me and her just sat and drank. And I went, oh, she does like me. Lunell, she has a bodyguard who's very aggressive. Yeah. And we doing a show. And I walk, I walk up to Lunell. I'm like, hey, what do you want me to say about you? Um. And he he starts to posture like I'm a fan or something, and immediately I start to posture like, "Yo, what? Like, what's your problem?" Yeah. And he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him like, "Yo, man, you don't understand. You being big don't mean jack shit to me." Yeah. Like you don't you don't get it. And um, other people's like, "No, Ali, you calm down." I'm like, "No, you fucking tell him to tone it down." Yeah. You know what I'm saying like I'm just asking the lady, and like, cause I go there. And they, people don't get it. Like, being coming from prison and being my size, they don't realize, one, I'm already, a, a like, a trained fighter. So that's it's different from being just a normal fighter. And I'm very aggressive when it comes, like, you can't, you can't posture with me because my mind immediately goes to, this person wants to, wants to fight. But he doesn't understand. I'm way past this. Yeah. Like, just the fact that you even you even spreading your wings like a peacock in front of me. Like I'm I'm murder. I'm already to murder. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm zoomed past fighting. Because there's no such thing as just like talking it out in prison. In prison, it's no talking it out. It's no talking it out, and it's no weight class. So if you big and you approach me, I'm not gonna say, "Oh, you too big for me." It's going to be like, yo, man, what you what, what you trying to? And there's no, and there's no. I would assume that there's no taking things back either. Like once you make that first step, oh, then it. There's yeah. only one thing; it has to escalate. It has we, to escalate. We can't back away from this. And I don't think, and I don't think people understand. You have a lot of people out here, like 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 the the people who are on the corner that's doing the squeegee thing. Some of them are Vietnam vets, and that's out there, and. I tell people, I say, man, you might not want to cross this line with this person. Yeah. Because you don't know what's in his head. You have no clue what's in his head. And he may flash back on you, and you the Viet Cong, and this man, this man was a prisoner of war. You don't know what he's been through. Tony Woods said the funniest thing one time. Tony goes, uh, I learned two things. Uh, His dad, I guess his dad was... uh, sleep talking talking to sleep <laughs> he goes i learned two things that night sometimes people talk in their sleep and never wake up a vietnam vet <laughs> i do this i do this this story about going to visit my uncle and he lives in a in a in a housing thing with all with all um vietnam people from vietnam and different wars they yeah. and this lady i'm going to see my uncle she says now before you go up, you been here before? I said, no, nah, I've never been here. He said, when you go upstairs, you get off, it's going to be a, after I act off the elevator, he said, it's going to be a man standing there. 
He gonna be naked. Just don't don't make no eye contact with him. Don't say nothing. And I'm thinking like, come on, lady, she playing. I get off the elevator. This is just a black dude standing there, just naked. And I'm like, okay, I'm not looking. I don't know. No eye contact. No. Eye contact. <laughs> I'm like, what is his deal though? He's like, he he was in a war. He's kind of off. If you say something to him, he'll probably he'll probably break you up. And I'm like, and I'm just like like I'm just looking like I want to talk to him though. I yeah. want to say something, but he's like, nah. My uncle's like, nah. Leave that one alone, brother. So 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 your so your first day of the and I I mean and I I'm telling you this is your this is your story. This, and there's so much I want. I'm so badly. I'm trying to convince my wife tonight to get my wife, mom to watch the girls. I want to come see you work so bad, so fucking bad. Oh, please don't be my fucking wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's my wife. Hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the middle of the podcast right now. That's okay. Bye bye. So, um, but <clears throat> so. First day on Torres unit, there's a, I guess there was some unrest with between black and um, Mexicans, and I have no clue because I'm just getting here, and I have a, a Mexican celly, and I don't know, they, me and him cool, we eating together, so I'm going to, to laundry, and which is called necessities, I'm just walking the laundry, and this this guy, his name is Crumb. Actually, Crumb saying, "Hey man, Mexican got on boots." <laughs> you know, this, like what? And he's like, "Man, Mexican got on boots," and I and I don't want to be Jew. I like I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> prison has a place. There's no Google in prison. I'm like, I'm like everybody has on boots. From my understanding, I'm like I got on boots, you got on boots. Like they, that's what they give you. They give you black boots when you get there, steel toe boots. But I'm not understanding that Mexicans don't wear their boots on the rec yard because they play handball and they wear their sneakers. So they, and it's like everybody wears their sneakers on the rec yard, chucks or whatever you have. Um, and he's like, he, it's like Mexican on boots. So. I'm like, I'm seeing all these black guys getting their clothes very fast. Everybody is moving very rapidly. And I get to I get to the window of the necessities. I'm like, I want my clothes. And this, this dude leans in. Yo, man, Mexican got on boots. I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And like, and I'm, and I'm just so, and, I, and, I, and as I look back on it, I'm so juvenile at this point. I'm like, okay. Okay, this means something. I gotta ask somebody, and I and I'm trying to find somebody who I'm all right with to be like, yeah. yo, I'm like, say Mitch, <laughs> and I and I whispered to Mitch like like I say, man, Mexican got on boots, and Mitch say, they do got on boots, and just break out. <laughs> I'm like, I still have no information. I'm still clueless. <sighs> so now, oh, hey man, Mexican, <laughs> so oh, they do got on boots. <laughs> I walk into my cell and I tell my cell, I'm like, hey man, do you know y'all got on boots? <laughs> He's like, what? I said, so all the Mexicans got on boots. He said, oh man, it's about to jump off. I'm like, what's about to jump off? He says, it's been a bit of a riot. He's like, it's, it's going to be something about to go down. And I, and I literally asked him, I said, 
between who? It is like blacks and Mexicans. And then I say, well, do do we do we get into it too? Yeah. Like, cause we just finished eating together. He's like, okay, let me explain it to you. Now we don't have to go out there, and we can kind of just chill and don't go out there. But if we out there, and like, what's the you know what's the Shut face? The fuck what, up. Like, what's yeah. the face? Like, I gotta ride with my race. So you have to ride with your race. You in prison. have to ride with. Where your race. Where the white people learn this time? Very out the way. Really? <laughs> very, very, very out the way. White people like, uh, it's not us. Then it's not us. We're not getting because it's like when when your race is getting into it, you literally. I've seen white and Mexican get into it, and it's like I'm not involved. So I'm like, I don't care, you yeah. know. And I've been in situations. I'm like, yo, man, um. You gotta ride with your race, and if you and you try to make sense of it, but it doesn't make sense, and it's like you just ride, man. It's like and you hate it because you don't even know what's going on. You don't you it's it's not fair that you don't know what's going on, but you involved already, and you like. I see. Can I tell you? I think part of that. I I and this is gonna sound so. It's gonna sound racist. I'm sure that I'm saying this, but I kind of respect that you gotta ride with your race. I kind of respect it because, like, when you look at these social justice warriors, these men who become feminists, like, I, I just don't get that. I, I ride with my race. I, I ride with men. Like, I ride I'm always, with my species. I ride with like, my species. <laughs> like, I'm always on the side immediately. Whenever something goes down, I listen for a second to hear what my my team, yeah. where, where, where we're at. You know, we've been wrong a lot. But, but, like, I always go, hold on. Let me hear my guy out first. Yeah, let me hit a side. I Wait never understand guys who just sell out and just go, oh, men are despicable. And you're like, whoa, you're a man too. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Right. So in prison, I think, like, I think I would – but I would want to be on the black team. I'd hate that that's my team, that my team is the fucking – fucking. It's only, it's, only, it's only one white guy – two white guys I've ever seen – that were they were they were on our team that and it was uh, it was like it was gang it was gang affiliated and he happened to be the same gang as me and he was from San Antonio and we respected him yeah. and, and and white slim we just respected him because he was like a really thin white guy but i remember being in a full out gang fight and he was the one that threw the first punch. He came out of four building like, oh, let's get it popping. Bow. Hit the dude. <laughs> Shut <laughs> the then everything fuck started. up. And White Slim was like, yo, man, I don't play no games, man. And I was like, I, and he had, this is what I always remember about White Slim. He had the best hair in prison. Like he, it, it was like wavy and it was <laughs> always finally come like, Man, who be cutting your hair? And it's like, yo, my celly be cutting my hair, man. It's like, <laughs> and how you cut hair in prison is very, very detailed. So, you know, like a big razor. You ever yeah. seen the razor? You take the razor, the blades out the razor. You see they have holes in the blades. Yeah. And you take like a, a little comb and you put the blades in the comb and you cut the hair like really? that with the comb. Best haircut I've ever had. Really? Best haircut I've ever had. I'm 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 telling you, it was like God, I'd love to learn some of that. I'd love to learn how to give a prison tattoo. Um, how you how you make the ink? I've seen it made various ways. Um, you you burn a spoon, and all the soot that goes in a you take a, a brown bag, and you catch all of that, 
and then it, it just leaves all this black film inside the bag. You open the bag and you scrape all that down into like a Fuck. little capsule and you add water to it. And and to get the color, you um you take M and M's and you roll the M and M's around in water to take the color off the M and M's because it's a dye. So you take it out and you 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 let it soak a little bit to get a little thicker and you put that's how you use the ink. You Holy get the yellow, shit. your red, your green. You know what I'm saying you're blue. Good God! So 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 you're talking to your Mexican roommate, and he's like, "Oh man, you gotta ride with your race." So you don't know when this is gonna jump off, but you like you have to go to you have to go to wreck, and they let our building out. So I'm like, okay, ain't no jumped off thus far. So I'm going to go to wreck. Mitch pulls me to the side before we go to wreck, and I'm in Mitch's cell, and he's like. Yo, man, I know you ain't never been no riot before. <laughs> so he's like the general giving <laughs> giving me all these directions. Like, yo, Mexicans kick. They kick. That's why they got them boots on. And it's still in that toe of that boot. They're going to try to kick you in the shin to make you go down. They're going to kick. So you got the, you got the rock. You got the fake. Where you, how you going to punch to see what foot they're going to kick with? I'm like, okay. And so we, he say we gonna practice. Don't let me kick you. I'm like, <laughs> so I got pretty good reflexes because you know, and I'm like, me, we going through this now. Now, now that's one thing you got to worry about. They gonna have knives out there. They gonna have knives. They gonna try to stab you. They gonna have knives. So, in this various ways that you make a knife. So he said you gonna have to take your shirt off and put your shirt around your arm, and so. If they kick and they rock and they try to go, you you block, you block like this. So I'm getting this very detailed warrior survival <laughs> barbarian tactics of, of fighting out here. Yeah. And Mitch's like, now, if it jump off, I want you to find me. Cause I'll be you gotta be back to back with me. Anybody else don't don't man look, I ain't gonna fall. And you he said, now this is the most important thing. Don't hit the ground. Do not fall. I'm like, what happened if you fall? You know them steel toe boots? You're going to take a lot of them to the head. Don't fall. Whatever you do, if you slip, get up. Do not fall. So it's too much information (laughs) in my head. I got to know, okay, Mexican got on boots. Okay, I got that down. They kick. They have knives. And don't fall. You need a shield. You got to be back to back with Mitch. And my shirt is my shield. My shirt is my shield. <laughs> Literally, you're going through the list. Don't fall. My shirt is my shield. Uh, I need a shank. I got I got fine Mitch back to back with Mitch. Mitch doesn't fall. It's like, I don't have a knife. Uh, none of this. And I'm like, yo, I, I, I want one. I want one. And yeah. this is like, you got to find CC to get a knife. I'm like, what? I gotta find somebody and I gotta go on a scavenger hunt. I need to make a fucking list. <laughs> it, it's it's a lot going on. And I'm like, all oh, this has to happen today. Like, all this has happened in hours. <laughs> Very first day in fucking like, prison. You gotta fucking yo, This is man. a this is a learning curve. There have never been a bigger learning curve ever. And 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 I always say because this because I want people to actually always know that these stories are, are the truth. Cause that's why I named the people. Mitch is from Fort Worth and Mitch was a huge dude, man. His like his shoulders and his chest was like, man, he was so big that he just ran with his like his shoulders and his chest. Shit. And Mitch was like, yo, man, just stay back to back with me. We gonna be good. 
So we outside and I hear this is this is the most I'm talking about. I, I've seen a lot of cowboy and Indian movies and when Indians do they call a war call like you never think that that's going to happen. But I know how cowboys felt when they heard the the Mexican dudes when they attacked is like all of them attacked at the same time coming from different angles and all you hear is and when you hit it you like I'm I'm on the wreck yard and I heard that and I was like what is that and out of nowhere Mitch grabs me come on we're running to get into the building because everybody's trying to get in the building who's not involved in this riot for real yeah because because there are people that are looking to riot as yeah, well. Yeah, it's because uh, they know what it's by, about. They know what the, what happened, the whole situation, what happened to make this jump off. Yeah, and I'm very clueless, and I'm trying to get to the door, and like when I grab the handle, the guard slams the door, and so now we out here. Mitch say, "Just get back to back, shirt off. Remember what I said. Don't fall." And I'm like. Wow, this is insane, and it's you you really seeing it fold out, and it's in very slow motion, and you and this dude, this Mexican dude, runs up on me, and I duck him, and I'm looking for his feet, and and I punch, boom, and he has this razor blade on like this, it's like a toothbrush, like a razor blade, and I tell people, and I and and I think I've said the story a lot, but nobody's ever asked me when i say i got cut so if you look here oh shit if you look here yeah it's from right up all the way the, from there okay. motherfucker so he cuts me with the razor blades and i'm like mitch i'm cut and he's like just don't fall <laughs> <laughs> mitch, I'm cut. just don't fall so i get the dude go for my arm I get the knife out of because we on right and I'm choking the dude. And he's like, let him go. That's too much. Let him go. Because it's like, if you if you holding somebody, somebody can come stick you from behind. And Mitch like, let him go. So boom. Mitch hit him. Bow. He dropped the dude. Kick him in the face. And it's it's like eight or nine Mexicans running up on us. And it's like me and Mitch up against this back wall. He's like, long as nobody behind us. So he, we literally just, we, it's like this. We literally just, all these, like, don't nobody want to come in. Everybody like, yeah, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. And I'm rocking, I'm looking for feet, and I'm looking up, I got my shield. I'm already bleeding. And Mitch's like, just stay in there, baby. Stay in there. I'm getting coached in the right. And I'm like, this is crazy. And Mitch is no, he's not older than me. He's just the same age, but he's been in right. Two 19-year-old kids. Like, this is a lot. And then this guy that was in our cell, we called him Two Shorty Forty. <laughs> was on the ground and Mitch like thought it fell and I don't know why Mitch can see everything that's going on <laughs> and I'm just focused on who's in front of me and he's like shorty on the ground and they're kicking shorty and he's like I gotta get the shorty man so Mitch just bust through these Mexicans grab shorty slide him and he got him behind us and he's like man just don't fall Lee and I'm like <laughs> I'm not gonna fall. I'm here. I'm here, Miss. I'm here. I'm, I'm bleeding. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, you don't say don't worry about blood. Like, and it's up. it's all that's going on. And then I've never been so relieved to see gas canisters. So <laughs> they're oh, shooting so- gas 
from across the from the main building. They did so it's just smoky now. It's all this gas and people choking and because the gas is it's this CO four gas or whatever it's called and there's people choking and these all these guards are coming shield up and they in this formation marching and they billy clubbing people to the ground and I'm like in my mind this is what I'm doing I'm like come get these come get these hey. <laughs> there's three over here <laughs> but I'm not realizing I'm out in this riot too yeah and they don't know who's who so they the man come and pepper spray me in the face I'm like Mitch I'm pepper sprayed he said go down go down go down, go down. Go down. you said never go down you said the one rule was never go down, <laughs> go down. rules are changing yeah. Mitch has got an interesting skill set man <laughs> Mitch like go down and like cause he's like yo if they spray you go down cause they hit you in the head with that club and that's not what you want yeah so the rules change from Mexicans to the officers. <laughs> Brand new set of rules. Ali, go down. <laughs> so everybody's down now, and they have us hogtied. Have us hogtied. And this is the very interesting part. Everybody's hogtied, and this dude named Red. Red is freaking hysterical. Red is like Red, Forty, he's messed up. Mitch, um, this Mexican guy named Alvarez. Alvarez, like, they got to move me from over here. It was in, and he's like, "What? Well, don't put me over here with these black guys. Move me from over here." I'm like, "Why is that his concern? We all hogtied. Yeah. Like we all up in the air." And Mitch's like, "Man, I gotta pee." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Man, I gotta pee." I, gotta <laughs> pee? I say, "Man," he said, "Man, they gonna pick us." Mitch talking to me like they gonna pick us up last. Watch. So everybody on the wreck yard, they taken because it was it was casualties out there, and. It's some white guys that just got caught up out there that was just on the wreck yard. They took them in first, hogtied. Then they took in the Mexican guys, and we just out there. And Red said, Mitch, did you pee already? Say, no, nah, I'm going to hold it. And I'm holding it because I'm like, yo, I'm not going to pee on myself. And Red is out there. He's so loud. And the officer keeps telling him to shut up. Red like, man, I got to pee. This is in her, man. I wasn't even doing nothing. I'm out here lifting weights. These Mexicans out here with boots on. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, man, this is freaking hysterical. Red peas on itself. And 40 is like, he, he, I'm hearing him gasping. Like he's. And I'm like, Mitch, man, is 40 good? He, Mitch is hog tight, but he's doing his shoulders like this to get over. To Shorty, yeah, and he's just talking to him. He's like, "Man, hang in there, man, hang in there." Because he he took a lot of blows to the head with them boots, man. It, it's like they was they was really kicking him bad. And we when we when we finally saw him, after they took him to the infirmary, his head looked like a freaking beach ball. It was so swollen, it was bruised up. His eyes were shut. And Mitch, I never forget it. When they bringing him in, we all locked up back in the cells now. They got all of us locked up. And Mitch say, 40 on the run. Yo, Lee. I said, what's up? I told you. Don't ever go on the ground. Look at 40 head, man. (laughs) (laughs) And I look out out my little cell because it's like mesh while I look out. And I'm like, damn, shorty is messed up. And I always remembered, I I was maybe like maybe two riots two riots the whole time that I was locked up and I always remembered never to fall because I always pictured Shorty's head 
And it was like a, a beach ball on like a toothpick. Like his body was small and his head was like huge. And Mitch, it's like Mitch was a, he's like, I don't, I don't think I would have made it out of that without him because it was like, a, oh, fuck yeah. It was like, this was my, this was my coach in this riot. And I, and I, and I never, I still don't know why we got into it, but I, I, after that, I took a very lead role in when things was uneasy between races or people. And really? it's like, if, if something was going on, I wanted to know, I'm like, yo, what happened? And it's a, it's a situation that happens, which is in, in, in I, and I, and I say this for people who are very ignorant to how it, how it, how it goes in prison. If somebody steals something, it is your duty to handle your own race if somebody steals something. Because it, it was a time that this guy from Dallas stole this Mexican's radio. And it was going to be an all-out war because thieves are not tolerated in prison. Really? Rapists, molesters, and thieves are not tolerated. This is this is a this is a this is a code and it is very, very it's very, very violent against those three. Yeah. Because we already in prison. You don't steal from other prisoners. Yeah. And so this guy stole this radio. The Mexican came and talked to the heads of the black community. And the old heads came and talked to me, say, yo, we need to handle this situation. And I'm like, well, he's from Dallas. And Dallas needs to handle their own business. So we we got the Mexicans to agree. We got the radio back. And he said, well, we're going to have Dallas handle their own. And when you handle your own, you have to handle it the same way like they would handle it. You know, but you don't want to kill your own. So yeah. you just you you make sure they understand never to touch somebody else's stuff. So I never forget it. They go up there, they handle their business, and he comes out. And the fact that he walked out, the Mexicans were very unhappy with that. They wanted him to be and he they wanted his punishment to be visible. Yeah, and it he was it's like they was up there wrestling. And I was unhappy as well. And I told the old heads, I'm like, yo, I'm not pleased. They're not pleased, and I'm not pleased. Dallas needs to handle their business because we're not finna jeopardize what's going on in this unit and get locked down and all transports and all things that we that we doing is gonna be at a halt if we if this happens. Yeah. So we told Dallas, we like, yo, man, handle your business or we'll handle it. And he was like, man, you can't tell us what to do. Well, it's what, 15, 20 of y'all? Everybody else is in the greens. So do you want this punishment to be your punishment as well? Because we're going to handle our business. <clears throat> so well, we, we don't do that. I say, like, all right, we'll do it. And we literally... The old heads commissioned the order. I commissioned the order. And then the order was carried out. Mexican was very happy. And dude had staples and had to put, they had to put his head back together. Because it's like, yo, man, you don't, you don't do that. Yeah. Because now you're putting everybody in danger. Because if they, if they start, they're going to start. 
and we not gonna know when they're gonna jump it off. It's not it it could it could be at any time. Just like when we start, don't nobody know when we're gonna jump it off. So you you have to really handle your own business. And being in there changed like I I'm not gonna tip my story that I did this year, but I'm I'm it's another story about being in prison, but it's very advanced. Yeah. I'm very advanced at this at this stage now. And it was a point that they, they I, I became something different in there. I, I held a a very peaceful protest in there, which was which to this day I, I don't know why I'm very proud of that, but I'm very proud of um doing the Million Man March. We couldn't participate because we was locked up. Yeah. So <laughs> I came up with this plan. I say, well, all the black people on this unit, we're gonna we're gonna feed each other. I don't want anybody to go into the cafeteria and eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And I, I'm, I'm very when people hear me talk about, it, I get kind of different about because I'm very emotional about it because it happened yeah. and I couldn't believe that they did it. Yeah, and it, it, to see all these black guys go to commissary and spend everything that they could to make sure when the cats came from the field, they had something to eat. They, you know, we fed each other for three meals. We cost the state a lot of money. And I remember, and this is very important to me because I remember the state tried to, they heard about what we was going to do. They tried to ambush it because I know we were supposed to have spaghetti that day. And it was very, it was very planned that they changed it to fried chicken. And they know that we don't get fried chicken, but probably every two months or so. So they changed the menu. And I remember Haleem came in and say, man, because he was a cook. He's like, yeah. man, they changed the menu to fried chicken, man. They got me battering all this chicken. And I say, Haleem, man, we can't, we still can't go in there. What and a dick racist move. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, you the fried chicken <laughs> and purple drink. Can you believe it? And it's like a delicacy. Yeah. In prison. Like, fuck yeah. Everybody wants the fried chicken because we don't get it. It's yeah. like so to see nobody. Because I woke up that morning and I sat on the wreck yard to see was anybody gonna come out. And I remember Lewis, Lewis McKenzie, and and um, Gregory Skurlock was sitting with me, and they we just sitting there looking at each other like nobody's coming out the building, man. Really, nobody's coming out the building. Even the black cooks didn't eat inside the cafeteria. They was like, Shut we good. And it was, I was so impressed with these guys, man. And I couldn't believe it. And then after that whole day, the Mexicans came and said, next time y'all decide to do that, let us know. We'll do it with you. Wow. And at that point, I was like, 21 at this point and i'm still a fucking kid and i felt like yo man i can really do anything in here no did you did you how much time did you end up spending six years six years did you at any point not want to get in trouble so that you your sentence wouldn't be extended i because i was doing the time like i was doing the 15 years oh you were you were like i'm just doing 15 years because once again, when you read in the paper, you're getting caught up in things. 
and this is and it's another thing where you think that you're gonna get out. We wanted Ann Richards to win for governor because Bush George W. Bush was running was the governor was yeah. running for governor, and we wanted Ann, Ann Richards <laughs> to win because we said this is this is when you listen to old people that there's no politics and they're like, look, yeah, now, now everybody, we can't vote. So it's it's nothing we can do about it. He's like, yo, make sure that you tell your people to vote for Ann Richards. That's fucking because she's the, she's the governor, and his and his mindset was this: if Ann Richards becomes the governor, all she gonna do is be stealing money um, for her last term, and she gonna let everybody out. You know, yeah. I've been through this, brother, before. I've been in here when the when the changing the governors, and you like because if Bush comes in the office. His new policy is, I'm going to keep everybody in with tough on crime, yeah. X, Y, and Z. Bush wins. When Bush wins, I get a letter from the parole board that I have, I have a serve-all. What's that? It's like when they tell you that you're going to serve half of your sentence. I'm saying, and I'm like, Bush wins and you get a fucking letter going. I'm like, what? And it, and, and, and this this another thing that turns the prison very angry because everybody starts getting these parole letters from parole board about how much time they're going to serve and serve alls and this, that, and the third. So now you got a lot of uneasy dudes in here now. Because some people didn't get letters at all. Yeah, no, it's like everybody got a letter. Oh, really? Yeah. So everyone knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah, you like, yo, man, you, you're not going nowhere. You and, know, and you keep that shit under your hat. You're like, I'm not going to tell everyone but, I'm getting out But everybody out know you mad about something. Everybody know you mad about something. And it's just it's it's just like you got to serve all, man. You're like, So what I did, I transferred from Torres prison to another prison. I, I, I said I was going to go to school, you know, continue to go to school, do, some, do something else. And they would send me to... to Terrible prisons, man. Bill Clemens unit and, and these Darrington and all these terrible prisons that was at like they maximum security. They like where I was at was a minimum security, it was riots. But the maximum securities was on a whole different level. This is like a whole different level. So how did you get out? Do you like what do they did they, you just I I was I got out on um just basically good behavior. They just bring you up one day and they're like, yeah, they, hey. The parole board re- revisited my case and then I get a letter that I'm going to a um, a transfer facility and and I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, yo, man, you going to a, like, a, like you about to go home. And I was like, get out of here. And so I go to this transfer unit and it's like an old army base, but it's, it's a prison. It's an old army base and, um, in um, Mineral Wells, Texas, and, and it's like, wow! And I could use the phone, and my sister sent me clothes, and my sister's in the military. She's in the, in the um, in the Navy, and her husband's in the Army, and they I had Army boots and fatigues, and they, that's the stuff they sent me, and and I knew when I was going home, the exact date, you know, and I was like, wow! But I never told anybody I was going home. You know, 1997, October 21st, dude. And, <laughs> and I'm like, hold on. You realize you spent your entire time in prison. I was in college. Yeah. I was in college the whole time you were in prison. I was how fucking that is. You know, we are like, like, po- 
doppelgangers almost. Like, cause, cause all my stories I talk about, you know, the machine stories happened in the middle of that. It's the same time. Probably I was 22. You're 19. You get like, we got all this wealth of fucking experience in two different institutions, two different state run institutions. Yeah. It, and it's, um, and, and how soon did you, so you get out, how soon did you start to get in? When did you get into comedy? 1998. Like I went to just joking comedy cafe. So you started when you were like twenty six, twenty seven. Mm-hmm. I started when I was twenty six. Shut the fuck up! How come we don't do a tour together? We should. That would be fucking great. Yeah, I, I would love it. You're the best. I mean, I, I've, I've said this. I'm, I'll say this. We have to do another one of these podcasts. I can't because I've I have too many questions. I'm actually kind of overwhelmed because I have too many questions to ask you. I feel like I feel like. This is a great jumping off point, but I want to talk. I want to do like five more podcasts with you. But, yeah. but like one of the things I wanted to say to you was that in hearing your Mexican got boots on, I have a lot of ideas on ways to take that story. One of the things Ari said that's imperative in every story is it needs a great ending, it needs a big full circle ending where you feel like everything's wrapped up. But, but one of the things I that I like, you know, Joey Diaz is 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 probably one of the most interesting people based on who his fans are it's this weird crossover that an old cuban i'm not old but like an older cuban dude who's been to prison for kidnapping and <laughs> fucking cocaine use and fucking all this shit did you, his crossover is like a bunch of young guys do you did you see when i was on his podcast and you know how many people sent me examples of the dessert the nutty buddy dessert and people was like yo man I like I, I kind of this is this is the weird thing what I ate in prison a lot was soups with yeah. like cheese and Fritos in it yeah and I actually have a soup in my bag and the Fritos are there and <laughs> and I just boil water in the cup and it's like that's what I eat when I'm just on the road and I can't find anything else to eat and the, this it's like the best dessert when you have uh, a honey bun, peanut butter, and um, the nutty the nutty buddy sticks. You had to put them. You had to like make a sandwich. Yeah, and Joey was like, "Yeah, I had that." And <laughs> and people started sending me pictures of it. And and I and I think like at this, at, I never like I. The, the weird thing is, I never wanted to tell my whole career. I've never told prison stories. Like well, it's, never. It's well. I think I think that was wise to not get into stand up and just start talking about prison. But where you're at now in stand up, that is a perspective that offers. I mean, your story is such. It is so non secular. It's so not just a fuck, 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 fuck. Hold on. Hey, you guys there? Okay, I'll be. Th- I'll be there in five minutes. All right, bye. All right. Well, I got to go pick someone up from the airport. So let's wrap this up. But no, but what, I, what I'm saying is is you have such a great – it's such a, such a great crossover ability. Your story doesn't just speak to black people, although it does. It speaks to white people in a way that no one actually can. It, it was hysterical. Um, Saturday show – no, Friday show, late night doing this thing and then I start going into this story about being in prison and losing it 
like at the five year mark, just one day I just woke up and didn't want to be in prison anymore. And I was like, I was losing it. Yeah. And this white guy, I didn't know, I didn't know he was white. This guy hollers out a spin number and he's like 37, 46, 93. And I stopped and I, in my mind, I counted the numbers that he said and it was six numbers. And I was, and I said 67, 93, 46. And he was like, yeah, he legit. So I don't know who this person is. I'm just thinking, oh, I'm like, yeah, this black guy just hollering out stuff. This is what I said. That was very racist of me. And after the show, this white guy comes up to me and says, yeah, man, I did four years. I'm the one that hollered out X, Y, and Z, hollered this number out. Yeah. And I was like, this is a very clean cut white guy. Yeah. Wife is there. And he's like, yo, man. When you start telling that prison story and when they electrocuted you with that shield, and I was like, yeah, he's really been to prison. Like, he's really been there. Because it, it was a, how it started was it was a correction officer. I just asked, I said, I'm just asking, what you do for, then when he said it was a correction officer, I just went off the deep end. I was like, you, you. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, what do you do and, for a living? Correction and, officer, and wrong. His, his wife was sitting there, no, he a good one. I said, ain't no good ones. Ain't, ain't no, no good, good ones. ones. Like, <laughs> like, 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 dude was like, man, I am a good one. I'm like, no, man, no, you're not. And like, oh. I said, you put on that, re- I, so the dude knew, he was like, yo, when you said that you was oiled up in your cell, you had flooded, you had flooded your yeah. thing because you was tired. You're like, I ain't in it no more. I'm going home. I'm going home. <laughs> and the dude like, yo, they, they marching. And they and they and these officers know me. They like, yo, we don't want to hurt him because we know him. He's he's like, Ali's just flipping out. He must have a bad letter or something oh, happened. Yeah. But it was one of them days, man, that I probably was thinking about my sister or something to this nature and I just freaking flipped out and they came in and they electrocuted me with that shield and hog tied me and they, they put him in the hole and say let him cool out for a little bit and the warden was like so Ali tell me what happened and I'm and I'm I'm down I'm very down now like man you know something just just sometimes you don't want to be here man <laughs> say so do you want to come out of here? No, nah, just just let me chill for a minute, man. Just let, give me about three days. Just let me, just, <laughs> give me about three days. Hey, I'm like three days and saying, and, it, and it's oh. all based on me saying it. Like, just give me like three days, man. It's like, and it's it's like it was very weird to be like. That's why I actually started doing stand up in prison when I was on the run. It was F line, and I was the SSI. I was like the janitor, and. I would watch Martin because they didn't have TV. They was locked up like 23 hours a day. Yeah. And I was on Estelle unit. So people know it, was, it used to be Ellis 2. Ellis 1 is death row. Ellis 2 is like right up the street from it. I was on Estelle unit. Um, and I would do the whole Martin episode for them. Really? It just the whole thing. I knew all the characters. And I would I'd be watching Martin so intense. And they're like, what he's watching this? He said, because he goes over there and he performs it for the, the guys who've been locked up. And yeah. I just had this connection with three roles of various races, various things. They in there for various reasons. And, and then after that, I would start doing, after Martin go out for the season, I would just start doing commentary 
about what was going on in prison because they didn't know. They 23 hours a day to get out, just a shower, and they back in. Yeah. I remember uh, um, late night, a dude was mistreating them. Like he was messing over their food, and they just flooded the run. And they setting stuff on fire. They trying to they trying to stab him. And um, when he come by, and the the sergeant on duty came comes and wakes me up. I'm like, what's up? Like, man, we need you on F line. I'm like, for what? And he he walking out. He explaining to me. He say, man, they kind of they kind of stirring up over here real bad. And we we don't want to gas them. We just want you to calm them down. I go in. It's <laughs> trash and toilet paper and water <laughs> everywhere and I walk in I said hey what's going on man and he's like they all talking at one time like kids yeah. you know I say yeah. man Bill give me give me give me the story yo this fucking guy here man is he telling me everything that he's doing yeah and I'm looking at the dude I'm like yo why you doing that man I said man just get from over here man I, I'll take care of it so I clean up the whole run. Everybody's back to normal. And I bring the paper over. I'm letting everybody read the paper. And we just talking. And they and they, they very disgruntled. Because it's like, yo, man, they don't have a lot. I made sure that they always had clean underwear. Yeah. They had clean clothes. That their food was hot when they got it. I would go get their food first. I'm like, yo, let me go get their food. And it's like, they just needed somebody to, to treat them normal. And they never did that when I was there. So it was like, I like, yo, man, don't know. I don't want nobody else over here. Yeah. And Sarge was like, yo, man, he has, he's like a freaking inmate pod piper. Because when anything happens, he can calm it down. And it's like, it like, so I, I, I understood my connection with them. And it's like, I always wanted to go back and to these units that I was on and that's how we start our tour. We do a prison tour. I I would love to do it. Fuck it. We got to do this, man. We got to we got to work together. We got to. I let's do it. I'm I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you I I I'm 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 so appreciative to I probably wouldn't appreciate it early on, but I'm very appreciative of the from when I first did this is not happening. It's kind of like I just looked at people, and Ari made me feel very. Ari's the best. And, and even though he he was straight up forward, I I didn't know you. He was like, yeah. he was like I didn't I didn't know you, and yeah, I, I, <laughs> like this is my show, and I was like, why why do we need him? Yeah, and I kind of fell in love with the show because they Comedy Central offered me another show that I turned down. I was like, and they couldn't believe I said no to it. I was like, yeah. I said no, I don't I don't want to do that. It, it doesn't it doesn't fit. You're the perfect fit for this is not happening. You are. And and we got to, I'm telling you when I say this, tell me when you're coming to LA, we're going to do another podcast. When do you, or, or I'm coming, I think I got Houston in my books. You still in Houston? Yeah. Or, and Houston. we'll come and do another podcast. I got to go pick up my wife's best friend cool. at the airport right now. But this is like, you're, 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 an, you're an original man. There's, there's no one doing what you do out there. And if you can just talk about fucking cereal, talk about soup on stage and it will have me in stitches. And I can promise you if I'm laughing, everyone's fucking laughing. I telling you right now, halfway through this, we're at an hour, we're almost at an hour 40. We're at an hour 40 right now. I was like, this is going to get me an Emmy. I know they don't give Emmys for podcast. <laughs> I go, this is the best fucking interview I've ever done, man. I appreciate you letting yeah. me come and hang is, with you, man. This is episode one of 
Ariel Burt. We're going to do this again. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you, brother. I and appreciate we, it. And we, neither one of them has on shoes. Neither of us. <laughs> Mexicans got on boots. <laughs> we don't got on shoes. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by The Machine.